Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Blood. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show... Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today on the show, I'm talking to Dr. Molly Malouf. She runs a breakthrough program for women to revive their lost energy and vitality developed by a leading biohacker and physician. You can pre-order her new book, The Spark Factor, now. Dr. Molly Malouf, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Okay. So I, you know, I have my own lived experience because I'm a dude and I've struggled with weight and I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I've noticed changes in my own body as I grow older. Um, one thing I find, I have four daughters, a granddaughter and a wife. So I am surrounded by gals. I call them. Wow. I don't mean to offend you if you don't like. Fun fact, chick, I have four nothing. sisters. Really? And, mom and four nieces. So you got lots of gals in your life, too. So many women. It's crazy. So for, <laughs> for me, in like all of the stuff I look at, it seems to be largely and 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 again, I don't know if this is just because I'm looking and sometimes the point of view you're looking through dictates what you see. But I'm looking at stuff that really broadly applies to men and yeah. and the advertisements I'm seeing. You know, there's occasionally an advertisement for a gym with a with like a, a girl on it, but largely the supplements and the products and the fitness stuff seems to me other than like maybe yoga and spinning um, to be advertised. And again, I don't know if that's because I'm not paying attention to a lot of the stuff, but I don't. So with with girls, it becomes very interesting because I just don't know a lot about how girls work and how this, you know, this whole universe unfolds with like 
How do you change your physicality? And and what is there to do amidst this really cacophonous uh, landscape of food and, you know, sedentariness? Yeah. I mean, well, first off, I mean, we live in a really obesogenic environment. So whether you're a man or a woman, you're living in a world that's kind of pitted against you. And sadly, it makes it really challenging to maintain a healthy weight in this country because there's so many chemicals in our environment. There's so many endocrine disruptors around. And there's so many messages as a woman that your value is based on your appearance. You know, right. like that's that's one big difference is like, I, I, I know a lot of men who are like basically super comfortable having dad bods. And they're like, women don't care if I'm in shape or not. Like, they, I don't think they do. Women really don't care. It's like we I've dated guys that were super fit. And I've had boyfriends that were like super, you know, like normal looking dad bods. Right. And so I really feel like that's one big difference is for a woman. You are like, I remember the first time I started having body image issues. I was in sixth grade, you know, and it was like, oh my God, like I'm going through puberty and my body's changing and I'm noticing things. And my, my teacher actually noticed that I was filling out and was like, you know, your clothes are a little bit too tight. And I was like, I, how was I supposed to know? I was in sixth right. grade, you know, I'm a child. Like I'm like a, a soon to be, you know, preteen. And I was like 12 years old. And so I think as a woman, the saddest thing I see is just how many women feel such an incredible pressure to fit into these changing ideals, by the way. I mean, like you look at the Kardashians and one day having a big ass and being curvy is hot. And the next day they're all on Ozempic and all losing crazy amounts of weight. And now it's cool to be lean again. And now we're going back into that super lean physique. And so women feel this like responsibility to look a certain way, to be attractive and to be loved. And that's really sad because there are an enormous numbers of eating disorders. Two people in my family had an eating disorder. Um, you know, I myself struggled with bulimia when I was in college. And so I think the biggest difference is like just the expectations on men and women are a little bit different. And then obviously we could go into metabolism. We're not the same. <laughs> we have hormonal changes throughout the month. Well, and that that's actually... the other thing that that I think is um, wildly undiscussed is like, I, I know, you know, the endocrine system for men will slow down with age, yeah. right? And so there's stuff that we're not going to produce at the same rate, but we don't have a quote unquote change of life. That is a wild thing that half of the population goes through that, oh, yeah. uh, that we don't really, you know, all I know is that you guys have a change of life and, 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 and maybe it could take a few years to happen and yeah. maybe it starts in your forties or fifties. And it's, it's so ambiguous. Well, I think the few things that, I mean, given that it sounds like your audience is probably mostly men, if that's the case, I don't know if that's true. But if men are listening to this, I think it's like, first and foremost, really important for you to understand that like women in their menstrual cycle are, I'm like a different woman four weeks of the month. Like literally like there's the follicular phase and then there's a, you know, which is about a week and a half. And then you have your a, a ovulatory phase, which is a few days where you're really, you, you feel really attractive. And then you hit into your luteal phase which is another, you know, um, another, let's see here. It's like day after you ovulate day 14 to like, um, to menstruation. And then you menstruate for about, a, for about five days. And so throughout the month, you've got these like changes of hormones and the longest phases are the follicular and the luteal, but the ovulatory phase is like 
that middle phase right in the middle where you're like, you're pushing out your egg, right? And if the egg doesn't get fertilized, then you go into your luteal phase and you're like kind of moodier, you're more inward oriented, you're not as interested in sex, you're kind of like tired and you progressively get less energy. And then you hit menstruation. And like for a lot of women, menstruation is like a really challenging experience, actually. Like it can be really painful for women. It can be really draining energetically. A lot of women bleed too much and end up having um, anemia. A lot of women stop their period because they don't eat enough. And then, you know, you hit your follicular phase again after you've menstruated and you're like energized, you're outgoing, you're happy. And like, it's so crazy to be going through these massive hormonal shifts that a lot of women go on birth control because they just don't want to deal with their hormones. And that will just regulate it. Or what does that do? Well, when you, when you, so there's this thing called negative feedback. So when you push enough estrogen into, you put enough extra estrogen into the body, you basically turn off your natural ovulation. And so you don't actually need to have a period if you're on birth control, it's totally unnecessary. It was designed by the birth control inventors because they wanted women to feel normal, but there's nothing normal about being on birth control. It's basically like if you're on birth control or you take, you know, exogenous testosterone, you will stop your, 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 it will change your fertility. It's not uncommon for men who take testosterone to like lower their fertility levels. The reason why is because your body has these natural ups and downs and, and like your, the rise of the estrogen that happens causes this peak of luteinizing hormone and, and follicular stimulating hormone. And those, th- those peaks actually lead to the egg release. And so when you have a consistent amount of estrogen, there's none of that stimulus to cause the luteal um, luteinizing hormone to release the egg. So you just turn that off. And when you turn that off, you're basically just have a consistent amount of estrogen and progesterone throughout the month. Unless unless you take the pills that uh, that don't have any in them and you decide to have a bleed, which is totally like, if you're on birth control, you don't really need to do that. You can just take it continuously. Right. Is that good? Like, is that I, good I, for you or bad for you? I don't, yeah, I don't want to. And good and bad to me is very subjective. So I go like, it's it, really it all a complex com- conversation. I mean, right. there's, here's the thing about hormones. Like there's, there's all these people arguing about hormones being a problem. Like all these alternative providers would be like, or like health gurus would be like, birth control is a carcinogen. Well, guess what? Like estrogen. Yeah. We know that extra estrogen in the body can potentially increase risk of breast cancer, but it's not going to cause breast cancer. It's if it's growing, it may make it grow faster. So I don't really look at, I wouldn't be like deathly afraid of, of estrogen, but if you are trying to date and you want to fall in love with someone, your hormones, your pheromones are going to change depending on if you're on birth control or not. And so the, one of the downsides of being on birth control is let's say you're dating, you fall in love with someone, you go off birth control because you're ready to have a baby. And you're no longer attracted to your partner or they're no longer attracted to you. So it's going to change your body chemistry. And so I went off of birth control in my early thirties because I was like, at some point I'm going to want to have kids maybe. And I, um, and I just figured I I wasn't going to be, I didn't want to be on them because, you know, I wanted to just get to know my body. And I realized that a lot of the reasons why I was on birth control were because I was trying to cover up hormone dysfunction. Cause like I had hormone dysfunction and I wasn't dealing with it. And so all the hormone problems came back and I had to fix them through biohacking, which was, you know, working on my liver function, really, really trying to clean up my liver and really just working on my gut health. So gut function um, and liver function are really important for hormone health because 
you reabsorb hormones from your poop into your bloodstream. And if you're not pooping, you get more and more hormones reabsorbed from your bloodstream. So if you're, if your gut is dysfunctional at all, then you're not going to have normal hormone levels. Right. And also stress can cause hormone dysfunction as well. So like, it's just really important for women to know that like, if you have problems with your hormones, you just want to meet with a functional medicine doctor and really hack those hormones rather than just having to resort to taking birth control. If you don't want to be on it, it's, it's not, it's, it's a good solution for a lot of people who struggle with things like, you know, some women actually have such high hormone levels that they, um, they end up with, you know, pro like major, major problems, like endometrial cancer can happen. So, um, I have seen people use hormones to turn off the natural cycle because they specifically want to turn down the hormone production. So the, the, one of the benefits you get from being on birth control is you just have a much more stable mood. You don't have those ups and downs throughout the month, which is why a lot of women go on them. Yeah. But I would argue that you're ignoring your natural intuition and you're, there's a lot of information that your body's sending you through your menstrual cycle that you're kind of, you're not really getting to hear if it's turned off. Um, the, you know, the hormone, the hormone patterns are turned off. So that being said, it's totally natural for women to go through menopause, but remember it's like, there's pros and cons of menopause too. So I don't know if you want to talk about that. For I mean, I, I I've gone, my mind has drifted to so many places I wanted yeah. to ask you about and, and without ad, outing any of my children, I would say like, let's just call this a hypothetical. But if a, a young teenage girl was asking to be put on birth control to regulate her period and her dad was just kind of like, you're a little young to be on birth control. That makes me uncomfortable. Mm. Your your position was for a moment, I thought like, no, it's totally fine. And then it was like, let's actually try to deal with this in a way that's well, more holistic, maybe. I would also argue that like, there is a good chance that teenage girls are going to want to have sex. And so like, one of the things I talk about in my book is like, we do not talk about sex enough in our culture and we don't have a healthy relationship with sex in our culture. And as a result, like sex is kind of shoved under, under the, you know, the window. So I would actually have a, first and foremost, I would have a conversation with her about the reasoning. Like, do you, are you ready to have start having sex? And if so, like is birth control something you want for that reason? Because if that's the case, if that's the real reason, then if I were 17, and I was starting to have sex. I mean, I would, you know, I, I definitely think birth control is a good option for young women, specifically those who are sexually active. Um, especially not if you're not ready for pregnancy. You know, if you're not, maybe if you're not ready, like, so you don't really know. You just have to have, you have maybe have your wife have the conversation. Right. But then if it is for hormones, then I would, I would argue that like, the real question is, is what's going on with the hormones? You know, like, cause like, could it be her diet? Could it be something in her diet? Could it be, yeah. her life? could it be her lack of sleep? Could it be, um, could, you know, I don't know what her weight is. I don't know if she, you know, if she's struggling with, cause the thing about hormones is that when we like, I, um, I was like really lean during high school, but I filled out pretty much consistently throughout the end of high school. So I went from being like tiny to like voluptuous in like four years. And, um, and so you, it is a, it is overwhelming for women to like, to grow into their bodies. It's like a lot to handle to be like, gosh, there's so much going on here. And, um, and you know, it, I didn't have the resources that I needed at that age. Cause there wasn't a big movement in functional medicine at that point. Right? right. It wasn't a big thing. Now we have functional medicine and there are so many things that you can do to optimize health and optimize hormones now. And, and that, that, that doesn't mean just supplementing with hormones. 
Yeah. It doesn't mean just turning them off. Right. It means like potentially looking at what could be the underlying dysfunction. You know, there's really good testing called the Dutch test or um, it's like dried urine. It's like a dried urine hormone test. And then there's a hormone cycle test you can run. And it's like, you basically pee on a little test strip over the course of a month. And you can actually just see what's going on with her, her hormones. And it'd be really interesting to see like, does she have too many hormones? Does she have too little hormones? Like I have friends that are really lean and they're, and they like exercise a lot and their hormones will stop for like three months at a time because oh, wow. they're actually, they don't have enough body fat to produce enough hormones. Right. On the other hand, a lot of young women who may have like started to gain weight because you're, you're growing and you're becoming a woman, you may notice that like with more body fat, you have more hormones around and with more hormones around. You may notice that you have like more mood swings and, and like, it is, a, it is a challenge being a woman. Like it's hard going through changes and there aren't like, we don't really have like rites of passage for young people to make, like you are now a woman. It's like, you just kind of like haphazardly awkwardly grow into your body and it's uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Another thing I wanted to ask you, which you touched on was constipation. I have a yeah. friend or two that are male that occasionally has issues with this. I know yeah. lots of girls who, who yeah. have issues with this. Do you I have- struggled with it when I was in college to the point yeah. where I had, this is so embarrassing to say, but like, I literally had an anal fissure. I was so constipated. Wow. Like it's really, really scary. And like looking back on how, how unhealthy I was and how healthy I am now, like I can actually talk about this without being like, God, like it, it was traumatizing the whole experience, like, you know, hemorrhoids, like hard stools, like it sucks. First thing I will say is that we have a really, really, really problematic diet in our country. The standard American diet is devoid of enough fruits and vegetables. And at the time when I was really struggling with my, um, my, my, my body, I was not eating a healthy diet. I was in college. I was eating cafeteria food and I'm really allergic to wheat. And I did not know that I was until like my late twenties, early thirties, when I gave up wheat for the first time. And I realized I had a massive health transformation when I just cut back on grain. Oh, and wow. I'm not saying everybody has to give up grain. Like modern nutritional science will tell you that like grains are a healthy whole food. And at the same time, I've seen time and time again, a lot of people struggle with wheat. And so I, I'm not saying everyone has to give up wheat by no means by like everyone. I don't think everyone's celiac, but there's a lot of glyphosate in our diet and that really does cause dysfunction in our gut. And it's really, really heavily contaminated in, in grain products. So like a lot of people go to Europe and they eat grain and they have no problem. They go to Guatemala, they have corn, they have no problem. They come back to America, they eat our grain, they eat our corn and they have all sorts of gut dysfunction. So I put almost every one of my clients on an elimination diet and it's really not that complicated, but it's not it's, it's largely how I eat today. Actually, I eat meat, vegetables, nuts, seeds, fruits. And like, that's the majority of my diet. Like I don't do a lot of grains and legumes. I will sometimes if I go to a Mexican restaurant, but I just, I actually really like um, lentils and beans and I seem to tolerate them better these days. But until you do an elimination diet, you'll never really know what's causing the problems. And a lot of people um, are, have a, have a lot of allergies in their diet and they don't know it. And a lot of people just like, I'm not saying fiber is the answer for for like constipation, but um, some people don't eat enough fiber like that. That's like the vast majority of Americans are not getting 25 grams of fiber a day right. and you need 25 to 45 grams of fiber a day to get really healthy stool, which is why people who are plant based 
um, they have really healthy stools because they're eating lots of fiber and they're getting a lot of bulk in their stool from the plant matter. So a lot of people, first and foremost, just look at your diet. Like where are you getting your fiber and could you have problems with grains? Maybe, maybe not. If not, like it's, it's not going to hurt you to go off them for a few weeks and see what happens. And then also just really looking at, um, you know, other potential food allergies, like making sure that you don't have issues with dairy, you know, dairy is typical, typically going to cause more, um, typically will cause more, more loose stools, but it can cause constipation in some people. And then the other big two causes of constipation that people don't talk about are, um, because like fiber doesn't work in everybody. Like a, there's a bunch of people who you just give fiber to, and it just makes it worse. And in those really? people, yeah. And it's motility. So motility, I don't know what motility means. So you have this thing called the, um, migrating motor complex and the migrating motor complex is literally the autonomic nervous system and its ability to just like move food down your gut. Right. It just, it causes these waves that move the food throughout your, your intestines Okay. and it does it automatically. Now, if you listen with a stethoscope on someone's stomach who is like, has a healthy digestion, you're going to hear gurgling. You're going to hear movement. You're going to hear sound. But if you don't hear a lot of sound, there may be like literally not enough movement in the gut. And like, it's actually a really big problem for people with opioid addiction. I actually know a person who had a such, such bad constipation because of opioid addiction that they literally their their colon burst. Like literally, they had to go to the ICU. Wow. Um, so, opioid addiction is still a massive issue in our country. Not, yeah, I, I'm not, I, I'm not saying your friends have this by any means, but it is one of those things that's worth bringing up because it's a really extreme example. I've experienced that myself. I'm, I'm sober now for yeah. multiple decades, but I have, I have experienced that. But, but that to me was just like the minute I would get off, it would be yeah. handled. Right? Exactly. So, um, but the migrating motor motor complex can actually be affected by gastrointestinal infections. So if you get a bad stomach bug, and you notice afterwards that you have constipation or you have gut dysfunction or you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Sometimes that happens because your body isn't moving the stool effectively. And so one of the things that they prescribe for SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, or problems with constipation is motility agents, things like erythromycin. And there's a bunch of other um, drugs that doctors use and like, and other you know, laxatives that doctors will use. Stool softeners can help, right? Miralax can help, but like you really want to figure out why you're constipated, right? Like what is the reason why I'm constipated? <laughs> and so I, I really, I mean, I've seen pe people um, go from like having completely normal guts to actually getting a bad infection and it affects, it actually it can affect that migrating motor complex, can affect the nerves of the gut. And it's really scary to go to, to not feel like you can go to the bathroom. The last thing I'm going to add is stress. So we have an autonomic nervous system that has like, some, you know, when you're, some people, when they're really stressed out, they get loose stools, but some people, when they're stressed out, they actually, they like hold it in and they're like, they're kind of like, they're kind of like tensed up. Right. And that was part of my issue when I was younger was like, I, it's like literally having a tight ass. Like you basically are, you're basically in a situation where you're so stressed out that you can't go because you're, you're literally uptight. Like your guts are just held in, in a manner of, you feel like you can't relax and chronic inability to relax the body 
can mean that your, your body just can't fully release and let go of the stool. So these are a lot of different ways to think about constipation. It's a huge issue and it's embarrassing and nobody wants to talk about it. I haven't been constipated in a long time um, because I have really worked on my gut for like 10 years straight. It takes a lot of diligence to master gut health and functional medicine doctors. This is like their bread and butter. So if you live in a big city, you can probably find a functional doctor through Parsley Health, my friend Robin Burson's company. But if not, like, you know, just going to the Institute of Functional Medicine's website, because like constipation is totally curable. It's just most people don't really know how to do it because they don't have the right doctors. And most mainstream doctors are just going to give you Miralax, which is a laxative. And like, right. that's about it. They're just going to be like, go take Miralax and, and go on with your day. <laughs> which doesn't seem to handle the problem. It doesn't, it doesn't fix it. It's another cover up. It's yeah. a symptom cover up. It's like you, you don't actually deal with the underlying problem. Um, I... I found that uh, I, 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 I mean, I had when I was much younger done elimination diets, but I found that um, th it was very difficult for me to even be aware of what I was dealing with Yeah. when my diet contained everything that I was just accustomed to eating. Yeah. Um, so I was in this kind of fog of malaise of like, I don't feel well, but I'm not really aware of it. I don't have energy. And totally. And it was almost accidental that I like, discovered things that don't agree with me and i couldn't call i, I wouldn't uh presume to call discover? them well like um for me sugar if, yes if i'm in the middle of exercising sugar has a wonderful effect on yeah me, and it's great and i feel great and then i don't feel bad after if i have yeah. the same sugar before i go to bed i wake up and feel hungover and sick yeah um that's a big one yeah uh, dairy I love, I love dairy. I love cheese. I love milk. I can't yeah. eat it. It just doesn't. Yeah. I don't feel great when I eat it. Yeah. You know? And so yeah. those are the two big things that I no longer eat. I don't eat a lot of bread, but I do eat bread. I would say every week and it doesn't seem to disagree with me. There but you go. It, it's a, it's a very minor part of, of what I eat. I think the sugar piece is something we should really dig into because that's a really big part of what my book's about is mastering metabolism. And the reason why is because I was borderline pre-diabetic in my, um, in like 2012, 2013, actually 2014 was really when I discovered it. I was, um, I put a glucose monitor on and I don't know if you've ever worn a continuous glucose monitor before. Have you tried it? No, I have a kid who's type one diabetic, so I'm familiar okay. with them, but I've never worn one. Yeah. So Highly recommend wearing one, get one from Levels Health. Um, we can put a link in, in the show notes because I'm an, I'm an affiliate and I'm an advisor of this company, but I've also been using CGM since before this company existed. So I was like pioneering putting blood sugar monitors on healthy people in Silicon Valley. Cause I was like, I, I noticed that I had basically right below hundred fasting glucose. And this was like me just starting out my career. And I was like, oh my God, I've got a problem with, with sugar metabolism. And I thought I was being healthy because I'd cut out all this wheat, but I replaced it with gluten-free foods, which are made of <laughs> rice flour, yeah. potato flour, you know, brown rice flour, cassava flour, which are all refined carbs, by the way. Yeah. For me, gluten-free is a big lie, but, but for me, well, weight loss was my number one goal. So there were times yeah. where I was like, I'm going to be gluten-free now. And I didn't get the achievement of weight loss. And I was no. like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. No. And that's the thing. Like you have to look at ingredients. You have to look at what's in the food you're eating. And like, 
sugar-free and gluten-free are all big scams because if you look at like sugar-free foods, they have aspartame, they have sucralose. They, we know that these things disrupt the microbiome now. And I, I even bought into this crap. I was like, oh, I can have all the erythritol I want. No, you can't. Like it causes SIBO. Like it causes gut dysfunction, increases risk of heart disease too. Recent really? research. Yeah. So a lot of these fake sugars, like I found a few that I can tolerate. I can do a little bit of stevia. I can do a little bit of this thing called ketemphe, which is a amino acid. Uh, I just started getting into it. It's really powerful. It's kind of like monk fruit. You can, I can do a tiny bit of monk fruit, but I really just can't do all the sugar alcohols because they give me gut dysfunction. And I was like, here, I think I, you know, you, you think you're doing the right thing for your body, but you're actually causing more problems, but it's really a challenge to get off of sugar. Like one of the first things I did was just try to cut back on sugar because I was wearing this glucose monitor and I was watching my blood sugar spike whenever I had sugar. And I was like, oh God, this is a problem. And you do feel really crappy when you have a blood sugar spike because you're just hungry right after. And then your blood sugar's low overnight. And then you wake up feeling kind of groggy because your blood sugar has been low. And you've been like, kind of like your body's been in a stress response trying to get your blood sugar back up. So it's a really, it's a big challenge. And I, I'd say that for most people, you got to do it. I, I recommend personally, I think cold turkey can work for people, but eventually you're going to end up eating it again. So the key is, is just start really like monitoring how much you're in, you're taking, just tracking it. And like slowly, like I did a, a month long sugar cleanse and it, it did kind of jumpstart the sugar, um, you know, addiction release, but I, I was able to slowly over the course of like a year, really, really remove a lot of the extra sugar in my diet. And now I have like an occasional little bit of honey and a little bit of stevia, but I'm very, very low sugar. And I think that was one of the bigger things that I did to optimize my gut health and my overall health. Yeah. It, it becomes really, really complex. I think to, to get any of these kinds of things done broadly, simply because like, I mean, it's, it's, I don't like to think of sugar as an addiction because I've been addicted to drugs and I know sure. what that is. And I think there is a difference. However, yeah, the similarities with compulsion are, yeah. are so right there. That's really a better way to put it, by the way. But but also when you take that kind of joy that that it that the immediate gratification that it presents you and I'm talking about in your mouth, in yeah. your in your brain. A lot yeah. of stuff is happening when you eat sugar and your body is going, give us this. Yes. We need this. And yeah. then it's so abundant. So you have every pathway that the body uh, uses to put food into it, firing on all cylinders. And then you have it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack. 
for free shipping and 365 day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. so omnipresent that it's at like Best Buy when you check out, when you go to buy a yeah. camera and you're, and you're paying, you're yeah. surrounded by sugar and, yeah. and at the gas station. And, you know, we went, I was trying to come up with my wife and I was going like, I can't think of a store I've been to in years that didn't also have food when you're paying or at some point. And I realized, oh, this, um, this furniture store we were in, it was yeah. a very, very nice furniture store. And she said, oh, no, they gave me champagne and chocolate dipped strawberries. So even there, there was sugar and, and alcohol and alcohol. Right. And yeah. so I I just think it's really doubly complex. I think that um, telling a person like stop eating or try stop eating to stop eating sugar is interesting. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to interrupt you. Um, no, I, but I, I think you're, I think you're, I, have something, I, kinda, yeah. I, I think I have a way to conceptualize this that makes it a little bit more understandable from a first principles per, perspective. Yeah. So addiction and, sh- and like sugar, something like sugar, what, what are we calling a sugar compulsion? Sure. Like, I mean, it can be addic- an addiction. Well, like, like, no, but like, let's think about like drug addiction on one hand. Right. And sugar, like a compulsion to eat sugar on the other hand. Like if you really look at the underlying things that these are doing to our bodies. Like I'm going to just shed some light on like some really interesting ways to see that, see the body differently. So we have this thing called the biological imperative, right? We are literally programmed from birth, from our genes to survive by finding resources through food and to connect so that we can reproduce. Right. So this programming is fundamental. And if you look at what addiction does is it a lot of, a lot of drugs and alcohol, they are changing your neurochemistry and they're, and they're actually hijacking your pleasure centers. And, and, the, and the, the downside of addiction is that they're, they're giving you the feeling that you're supposed to get from being connected to others. They're giving it to you artificially through, right. through drugs. They're like and parasites. We're supposed to get endorphins from loving people. We're supposed to get dopamine from connecting with people. From, we're supposed to get oxytocin from orgasm. We're supposed to feel, and you can also get oxytocin from just hugging someone and holding a baby. We're supposed to get all of these neurotransmitters from human connection. And addictions are like giving you these substances, giving you these experiences. But the downside is you're not getting the reward of the safety and the trust and the love that you get from humans, human, like human, human connection. On the same time, sugar is like supposed to come with fiber. It's supposed to come with phytonutrients. It's supposed to come with nutrients, vitamins, minerals. A lot of sugary foods do not come with nutritional density. So you're not getting the the actual thing that you need from food, which is you need it to survive. You need to help you survive. It's also naturally very rare. It's It's very rare to get a ton of sugar. Yeah. Right. So like you had to get, go out of your way to get a beehive, to get that honey. You had to go out of your way to make maple syrup. Right. So we have this like incredible amount of sugar hitting our pleasure centers, but food is also supposed to come with the reward of nourishing our bodies and keeping us alive. 
So we have these pressure forces in our environment with addictions and with lack of social connection and with foods that lack actual nutrient density. And so it's no wonder that we're so dysfunctional in our culture because we're, we're literally starved of connection and we're starved of nutrient density. Yeah. Like that's the real problem underneath the surface of both of these areas. Yeah. I, I, it, it just becomes like, you know, having quit drugs a number of times. Yeah. And and now having having clung through the years yeah. of of uh basically letting my brain get back to a, a place where I wa- was able to experience joy again. I'll put it to you that yeah. way. Because it, it, there is a, a moment where you cannot you're just unhappy, right? Yeah. And, and you're sitting there going like, well, if I can't be happy, then I might as well be doing drugs because at least I feel something when I'm doing drugs. A similar thing happens to me when I go on a diet and when I, especially when I remove something, uh, whole cloth, like sugar from my, it's most recently happened to me when I tried to quit salt, right? I want to take a picture. I want, I want to get as much, uh, surface water out of my body as possible. So I quit salt and suddenly the world is gray and dreary food doesn't taste good. It's miserable. You know? I, I think the same thing occurs when you stop eating sugar and it's like, I'm going to just not enjoy dry caffeine. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I actually designed a caffeine, like a caffeine detox, coffee detox for this company, Mudwater during the pandemic. And I was like, kind of, I was like, isn't Mudwater coffee? No, mud water is mushroom oh, uh, right. elixir, and yes. it's got a little bit of caffeine in it. But like, I was so burned out during the pandemic because I had worked myself into the ground because I was there was nothing else to do but work, yeah. and so I just like kept working. And then I was like, wait, oh my god, my adrenals and my cortisol was just super flat, and I was like, oh crap, I'm in trouble. So I um, I end up uh, designing this coffee detox because I needed to get off coffee because it was doing me no favors. It was no longer helping me. And I recently just started going off of coffee again. And I've, I've hacked this. It's like, it is really hard to go off coffee, cold turkey. You get headaches. You, yeah. you feel like crap. So what I do is I, I, I buy a container of decaf and I buy um, a regular coffee and I slowly start changing the ratio of more and more decaf to less and less caffeinated wow. to the point where I have like a teaspoon. I, today I have maybe, maybe a teaspoon of regular coffee in my, okay. uh, in my, my uh, pour over. And it's such a gradual shift that your body starts to really not notice that you're cutting out, cutting it out. And I personally find that for people who really struggle with like dopamine issues and I'm very dopamine dominant, I'm very novelty seeking. Like I I can't like just give up my ritual of coffee. Like I need to have my ritual, but if I slowly turn down the caffeine and I slowly increase the amount of tea that I consume and I'm like, I'm like gently, slowly reducing the amount of caffeine. It's a lot easier than like full on cold turkey. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think the same is probably true for sugar. I wonder if the added objective metric of a glucose monitor is, is probably, it sounds like it would be helpful because you can actually look at something that's not just within your head, you know, because yeah. it, there's always an argument going on in my head of why I shouldn't, shouldn't do something. I'm I'm trying to rationalize doing it. I'm trying to tell myself to be strong and to fuck off and to not listen to the voice rash, you know? So 
whether that's schizophrenia or just the normal human experience of like trying to achieve yeah. some goal, I think the uh, the glucose monitor could help. But I don't know that the entire country can afford that. Well, get this. There's a company called Sava and they're out of England and they are innovating in CGM and they're literally, they figured out how to make microneedle CGM and they're a fraction of the cost of what the Abbott and the Dexcom are. So there is actually a lot of hope that these are going to get cheaper and, and they're going to get more affordable. They're going to get more widely available. It's like, I'm, I'm like always 10 years ahead of most like really big trends. And like, so I'm really just, I'm like, yeah, right now it's too expensive, but that doesn't mean it's always going to be this way. But here's the thing, having put CGMs on people for like over, you know, since 2014, I started using them clinically. I, I realized something and that's that like, it's not just enough to have the knowledge. It's not just enough to know that these foods are bad for you. You also have to figure out why am I reaching for that cookie? Like you, I've worn a CGM and been stressed out and eaten a cookie that I knew was going to spike my blood sugar. And the reason why was because I, at the time was really still dealing with emotional eating, which I think a lot of people deal with still. I think a ton of people struggle with emotional eating and like it plagued me for most of my life until like the last year, I'd say the last two years, I've really honed in on what happened, what was underneath it. And I remember being a child and there was a really stressful life event in my family that in one year, like a bunch of stressful events happened in our family. And I remember my, my babysitter seeing me literally eating like a big rock of, um, of, uh, brown sugar that I had gotten out of the bag. And she was like, Molly, what are you doing eating sugar? And I was like, I didn't even know what I was doing as a child. All I knew was that I need something to feel better because yeah. I didn't feel good. I didn't know what was going on in my family. I was overwhelmed by stress and I didn't have any way of expressing like, Hey mom, dad, like I feel a lot of anxiety. I'm really struggling right now. And as a result of like really digging into the relationship between mental health and physical health in the last year, I started, I started studying love and attachment and sexuality, trying to understand this human condition that we all experience. And I started to realize that there's a lot of unresolved attachment wounds. There's a lot of unresolved trauma in human health in America. And there's a lot of people who struggle with obesity because they've never really dealt with their childhood or adulthood traumas. And they're actually feeding their pain with food. And food is the most widely abused, you know, I'd say substance in the country. For sure. Because it's most widely available, yeah. you know? And so it's like, it's not enough just to have the knowledge. You have to have the understanding of like, if I have this knowledge, am I going to be able to change my behavior? Well, and, you know. This is, this is my other question to you. And so I, I'm completely there with you. And I'll, and a lot of my trouble was totally emotional. It was that yeah. it was a heat hedonic pathway. It yeah. was um, times of joy. Uh, I celebrate with food and times of sorrow. I comfort myself with food and I eat yes. stress. I also eat because there's uh, it's easily accessible around. So for me, the idea of just everybody puts on a glucose monitor does not solve anything. Also, the idea to me of everybody quits eating sugar does not solve anything to me because I personally, me can very easily overeat ribeye steaks yeah. and sweet potatoes. Right. Yeah. And there's no sugar in that. I know there's oh my God. Sweet potato, a full sweet potato will spike my blood sugar like sky high. Yeah. But you even know? if you, even if you remove that, I yeah. can overeat 
a brick of cheese. Like yeah. I can overeat stuff that doesn't have the quote unquote, like, you know, healthy. Yeah. It all falls under the umbrella of health food, right? You go to the this organic is- section. And so, so I go like, well, there's a lot of obesity and there's a lot of, um, a lot of what we're talking about now, the compulsive eating to feel better emotionally and it has nothing to do with our body's need for energy or need to store sugar Mm -hmm. it's and that's the reason why in the in the in the like last section of my book i specifically talk about connection Mm -hmm. because i really feel like this is the missing piece of the health movement that we need to create like we need to address the psychosocial factors of our health and we are so focused on weight and numbers and blood sugar and blood pressure and all these metrics. And even I fell into that, like for the, like the last, you know, my whole career was based off of biohacking biomarkers and all the labs. And I still order tons of labs, but I also really address the human factors now. Like I have seen such better results in my clients by taking a mind body approach than just taking the body approach. Like I really thought that I knew everything about health and cause I spent 10 years and I, I also was educating, you know, in medical school, I like, I designed a course around health in medical school, but it took me really digging into the relate, like the, the relational factors of health. What that made me realize, like, we are, we're not just solitary animals. Like we live in communities. Like if, if everyone around you is overeating and eating junk food, like it's really hard not to eat, to eat healthy. If you were raised by parents who put food in front of you to pacify your, your emotions, to shut, to shut you up, which I see all the time when you see kids who are like having a, like having like a fit in in public, Hey, would you want, do you want a cookie? Do you want some Cheerios? Like you're literally giving children a pass to like bypass the way that they feel and cover it up with food. And this is like this kind of pattern in our podcast today. It's like, do we really want to cover up all of our symptoms with drugs? Do we really want to cover up all of our emotions with foods and substances? Or do we actually need to get into the, like the real secret of healing is you have to go through the pain. You have to feel all of your emotions. You actually have to let, like, you have to let yourself feel all of the, the hurt in order to be able to actually understand what's really under the surface. And it's, it's a real challenge for a lot of people because addressing your traumas, we bury our traumas for a reason. We don't want to deal with our traumas. And I mean, I love uh, all sorts of, I mean, I've been, I've been really digging into trauma healing because I I think that almost everybody could benefit in some way from even just learning tapping. Right. Have you heard of emotional freedom technique? Uh It's like a super simple technique. It's like, you're I was, I was going through a little bit of emotional state last night and I just started tapping on your acupressure points and you just tap right here, here, and you just start feeling and you start, you can say affirmations or you can just be like comforting yourself by just giving yourself the ability to touch your body right. and notice that your emotions are like moving through your body more effectively. Yeah. It, it, that's a very interesting. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. 
Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Point and I, I think um, you know I got sober before I de- I started dealing with uh, my issues with food and that yeah. that was not something I was ever successful at on my own yeah. and also with food in in the same way it required a, a person outside of my head to communicate with to go like here's what I'm dealing with yeah. how, how do I get through it and to hear an idea that wasn't just me talking to myself you, you know. Um, I do think that's very important because I think yeah. I think we are so kind of isolated today. I know and, and there's not a lot of human connection. A one in five men do not have friends, according to some research in the UK. Like that is a major problem, right? Like one, I think it's one in 10 women don't have friends. And like, that's a lot of people out there listening who just don't have social connection. And so, I mean, I spent the whole summer hiring a bunch of interns to actually pour through enormous amounts of books and medical literature to figure out like what's really going on here with our culture, because we are programmed to connect. And so lack of connection means that we are going to experience dysfunction because we are, we absolutely need connection to survive. Like the reason why we feel loneliness is because it's a hunger signal. It's supposed to bring you closer to your tribe. It's supposed to like bring you proximity and proximity is supposed to help you share information, share resources, and and really oxytocin, which is what we get from connection, from cuddling, from human touch. Like that is such a healing experience. Like turns out oxytocin is anti-inflammatory. It's cardioprotective. It's it's any it's antioxidant. Like it actually has physiologic benefits. So the flip side is all these disconnected people are experiencing like the effects of smoking. Like literally loneliness is worse for you than smoking. And so it's crazy to me that we have not addressed this through public health measures. And in fact, you know, we see countries like China still isolating people during the pandemic. We see the the effects of isolation still in our culture. People are still afraid of going out. I mean, look, I had COVID twice in the last year. So like, it wasn't great that I, I you know, it's like there's there's risks if you go out and connect with people and you're in, I was in crowds both times it happened, you know, and so it's like we are living in a really anxious time and a lot of people isolate during when they're feeling anxious. And really, the, the answer is you, you need to find your core crew. You need to find a community of people. You really need to reach out and, and surround yourself with people that have, you know, that are like minded, that have similar hobbies and interests. And even if it means going out and volunteering in your local, you know, like local community, joining local, you know, um, like sports clubs, like just getting into like there's supper clubs in a lot of cities, trying to like just find ways to connect and and especially specifically for parents. A lot of parents feel isolated because they're they're, they're so busy working and then they're busy taking care of their kids. But like getting together with other families, making sure that you interact with other families, like it's so healthy for the nervous system to not be alone. And I I just think it's this, 
movement that we need to make towards um, towards greater connection in, in, in all forms. Was was COVID part of what uh, what what got you to write the Spark Factor? Yeah, um, it was. Is interestingly, um, it came to me. The idea came to me at a meditation retreat. I was going through a lot of change in 2019, and I went to a meditation retreat, and I was like, "What am I? What 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 do I need to do next?" And this idea of this book came to me. But then it was 2020 when I started kind of working on the proposal. But it was during 2020 and 2021 that I was actually writing the book. And it was this, I don't know if I would have included connection in the book if I hadn't been so blown away by what lack of connection and isolation did to people. I mean, I was like, my, even my editors were like, Molly, like, this is kind of cutting edge stuff. And I'm like, and they're like, it's not really mainstream yet. And I'm like, trust me, I know this is important. <laughs> like, yeah. I know this belongs in the book. Like, we can't ignore this. And I'm actually finishing a, a white paper right now with some students at Harvard because um, basically I'm just convinced that the way we, we're going to beat the obesity, obesity epidemic is not just going to be slapping up glucose monitors on everybody. It's about helping people realize that one of the biggest levers that you can pull for optimal health is feeling a sense of safety in your community. And I mean, there was another mass shooting yesterday, right? Like literally two people died in a school. I think it was a Detroit. Like it's really scary to go out into the world right now. And I'm convinced that, you know, we are, we're, we're going to face some pretty existential threats as a country in the next few years. I, I, I hate to admit it, but like, we need to band together. We need unification. We need unity and we need love. And like, we will not survive without it. And so it has basically become my mission for both my book and my, my, even the company I'm starting, um, to really promote the science of love and to really teach people that this is not hand wavy, like, yeah, go have dinner with your friends. It's like, no, this is survival. Like this is it's, fundamental it's, survival. Okay. It's like, like a prescription. You gotta, you gotta you exercise <laughs> a number of time of times of week. And you also have to socialize. You have to socialize just as much as you, you like, I go to the gym just to see people. Like I, I go to the gym to see my friends. Like I like being at the gym because I like meeting up with people and I like being around people. So like gyms are a great way to socialize. It's a great way to f- find friends. When my sister moved to a new city, um, she made friends through her CrossFit community and, you know, like CrossFit's not for everybody, but yoga studios are a great place to make friends, you know, spin class. Like there's so many ways to make friends, but yet we, we overwhelm ourselves and a lot of people just get ahead of themselves and they say they don't have time for it, but like, you actually don't have time not to connect. Like you, you need it to handle whatever comes our way. And if things get really dicey in the next few years, which I predict they will, I think they're pretty dicey to begin with. (laughs) What's really going to get you out of uh, danger is like, it's not your designer bag. It's not your like great. It's like not your like luxury vehicle. It's your friends and family. Like that's what's going to keep you alive no matter what happens with the world. And so I'm just like shouting at the rooftops, like connect, create communities, make a men's group, like just decide that you're going to intentionally find men to hang out with. And men's groups are great because men don't have a lot of great places where they can just talk about their feelings. Um, and so I'm a really big fan of like creating community for yourself, like going out of your way to create, um, create groups of friends that like yeah. celebrate with one another. Amazing. Dr. Malou, yeah. thank you so much. This has been a really nice conversation. Thank, thank you, you so much. On. Yeah. And now for the Q and a, I have a question for you today from Dave. Hi, Dave. Dave asks, 
do you think protein consumption is more important while trying to build muscle while in a calorie surplus or while trying to maintain muscle in a deficit while trying to lose fat? He says, I've spent most of the last two years trying to gain muscle and get stronger. Now I'm shifting to fat loss. I'm currently 5'8 and 245 pounds, definitely obese. I'm not a bodybuilder. I turned 39 in January and would like to lose at least 25 pounds, but ideally 50 by the time I turn 40. I try to focus on a diet, mostly protein-based already. How many calories and grams of protein would you suggest to reach my goal? Thank you in advance for reading this and being a source of inspiration and motivation. Yeah, okay. I do think scientifically it's uh, there's an edge on importance for uh, fat loss and muscle preservation. Like when you are in a, an energy surplus and trying to build muscle protein is important, but you don't need quite as much as you do from what I've read as you, as you do to preserve muscle while in a deficit. Um, as far as, uh, Dave's calories go, I, I I couldn't tell him what his caloric needs were. I think that the the way to figure that out is to either get like carbon diet coach app and plug in your numbers to that and it will give you a suggestion. And then based on the data you plug into it over the course of the next week or two, it will make adjustments because none of these calculators know exactly what you're your caloric needs are. They give you, you know, fairly good estimates, but they're not exact. So even if you just went on Google and Googled a BMR calculator, um, it's not necessarily going to give you the exact number. It's going to give you an estimate. And then based on that estimate, you take that and you put yourself into a, a deficit based on that. You want to hyper-prioritize protein while in a cut. And from what I've read, when you are massing and your body has an excess of energy, it will take the protein you're eating and, and put it into your muscles. When you are in a deficit and cutting weight, you want that, you, you want to extra protect your muscles with protein. So that's what I suggest there. I cannot determine your calories, but I would suggest you eat one gram of protein per pound of weight. So he said how much he weighed, right? Two yeah. Something? Um, he talks about weighing, okay, so currently 245. 245. So I would eat 245 uh, grams of protein every day. Now, uh, Lane Norton talks about eating protein for lean mass, but I would think about that for people like myself who were 550 pounds. I wouldn't have to eat 550 grams of protein a day, but I eat more than 250 grams of protein a day now. And for somebody at 245, I would suggest just eat 245 grams of protein every day. And, you know, if you miss it by 10 or 15 or 20 grams, it's not the end of the world. Dave, I hope that was helpful for you. Let us know how it goes. 
If anyone else has a question that they would like us to answer on this podcast, you can always email us at AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>